0: Hey, I'm Will LaVise. He's Eric Claville. You're tuned into LaVise and Claville, where we give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to it. Today's show, we're talking about black athletes, HBCUs, and March Madness of this NCAA. We're right now in the season now, the March Madness uh, basketball tournament. And unfortunately, uh, Norfolk State was in the wasn't the heat, was in the hunt, but got knocked out by the... Um, you know the number one powerhouse, in but it brings to bear the the issue of as you see all of these athletes, many of these predominantly white schools, and you see a lot of the athletes who are predominantly black, and you get to wonder. You say, "Well, what if the black athletes started returning to the HBCUs? Would it be so unusual to see a school like Norfolk State find university?" graduating, you know, quality students all the time. But what if it wasn't such an anomaly to say, oh, Norfolk State is a Cinderella Cinderella team, whether or not they're going to make it. Um, So I think it was uh, journalist Jamel Hill, I think a a year or so ago, uh, wrote something about this. Other other journalists have been writing about this. Uh, Bill Roden, uh, William Roden, has been writing about this Mm -hmm. issue. Because there was a time when the best and brightest and most talented of our athletes in the black community went and came out of HBCU because there weren't any options or many options for them available to play at the uh, predominantly strong, better funded uh, white universities. And yet still HBCUs were sending some of these, these athletes and continue to send these athletes to the highest levels of athletic competition. You got Jerry Rice, uh Mississippi Valley State, H-A- uh HBCU grad Walt- Walter Payton. Walter Payton. Um and um, you know, you got uh, a a young man right now, North Carolina A and T, uh, who's playing for the Chicago Bears, uh Tariq, um what's Tariq's last name? Tariq um Man, we'll get his last name. I'm sorry, not, I'm not remembering, but I mean, he. there's a lot of athletes right now that are in, in the league. So when you see this March Madness and how much money is making for the universities, you begin to wonder, well, what if the athletes started returning to the HBCUs? You know, Will,
1: uh, that's Tariq Cohen. Right, Tariq Cohen. I'm a phenomenal athlete. But, you know, you raise up a, you raise it a very important point because keep in mind, it wasn't that long ago. Black athletes were not allowed, or African Americans themselves were not allowed on uh, major campuses of state universities, which we know today and we call PWIs or predominantly white institutions, right? So with that being the case, what we now see is that because of the money revenue that generates through those universities in bringing the best athletes to their universities in these major sports— this is what happens. Uh, some people, you know, of course, you've had schools like uh, in the north and the northeast, uh, like and, and in the Midwest, like Ohio State, right. had, like, athletes. Of course, we know about Jesse Owens running for the Ohio State University.
0: Jim Brown played a ball <laughs> Syracuse. for Syracuse, right? Absolutely. So there've been, they've been um, you know, a few uh, trickled in there. and a lot of times, like you said, a lot of them are coming from the north or the Midwest. Yeah. Right.
1: And then let's let's not forget about you know the. The great athletes that came out of San Francisco University, right? Right. Right. Uh, Bill Russell, right. Absolutely played basketball during that time period, and they went to the Celtics and won, you know, Mister Mister Championship. I think ten was it, eleven or uh, titles in thirteen years, twelve years. More than
0: everybody else, still
1: (laughs) Still, still (laughs) right. Still, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, but to your point, you know, when they saw the opportunity to generate more revenue and income, that's when. The economic decision to include Black Americans overrode the ideology of white supremacy, the ideology of uh, white only, okay? Keep in mind, I've always said that slavery was a business decision. When it came down to it, they knew it was wrong. The founding fathers knew it was wrong. But because of the amount of money it was bringing in,
0: they
1: said, listen, we can't let this go. You know, so they allowed the incorporation of slavery into our American fabric, and we're still suffering from that today. So when we talk about universities, I, d- I just want to bring this statistic up. You know, think about it. You know, Abilene Christian president estimates, and this is just quoted uh, on, on the 20, uh, or just last, just this week. Abilene Christian president estimates that the school's improbable NCAA men's basketball tournament victory netted them over $100 million. Hmm. $100 million. Right, and exposure, uh,
0: marketing, uh, all of these things that they don't have to do, they don't have to spend media, but just the exposure and the name of this relatively small um, Christian school, private Christian school, which on its enrollment numbers are, are... no larger than some of the um like it's slightly larger than what my my alma mater Lincoln university at about is around you know three thousand or so uh, uh yeah. in that range give or take between years two thousand and three thousand or so I yeah. mean that's where they're at and north carolina a and t is actually largest at at ten thousand, exactly. so like you say it that kind of exposure is
1: priceless. You know, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And think about this, Will, you know, the uh, the amount of and just to kind of bring it home for you, uh, the amount of money that the NCAA chairman itself is 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 poised to me this year is 700 million dollars. Right. So and this and there's a revenue sharing that goes back and forth. So that's why when you look at universities like University of Alabama, you know, uh, you know, who has in Alabama. Most athletes on the team are African-American. Uh, you look at these teams winning over and over again. But when you go on the campus of these universities, you know, you're like, where are the black people, right? Yeah. I mean, you see a few sprinkle here, a few uh, uh, by the student union, you know, gathered together here and so forth. Uh, but then when you go, of course, to the athletic unit or comp, I call it a compound uh, because of all of the amenities that they have. Right, you know that's where you find all the black athletes or black students. So you look at percentages like the black athletes are eighty to
0: ninety percent on the team. Uh, a, but then he, when you look like, at the rest of the body, it's, it's totally flipped the other way when you look at the general student body. So the black athlete is overrepresented. In, in the athletic department compared to the to the percentage of the university, and it's also interesting you mentioned slavery because when you talk about NCAA and the system and the way that it's set up, it's the system that's still with us that most resembles the indentured servant or slave system because you have the 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 workers, the primary workers, which are the athletes playing on the on the field of play, producing the content producing the product, right? Yeah. Not getting paid. So you have exactly you don't have to pay them. They're producing your product and then Definitely. you get to put pay everyone around them and all of the systems around them gets paid hand over fist. Yeah. Over over and over and over getting multiples, but the main core worker, right, is is not paid. So. And,
1: and, 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 Will, when people make the argument and say, well, they're getting a free education, let's keep in mind, most of these athletes qualify for, for Pell Grant. And, you know, a lot of these are state institutions. So if they go in state, more than likely they'll be able to handle that cost uh, mm-hmm. through Pell Grant eligibility and uh, just small student loans at that. Uh, but, you know, the, the other part of this big, big issue is that the amount of work that's given and it's not in debt digital servitude, it actually models slavery because you're not getting paid, right? So let's right. let's let's now not let's not confuse let's, let's not sugar people. let's not sugarcoat it. It's, it's, not sugarcoat
0: this it's, it's, it's modeled off of the, the plantation system.
1: You know look I remember Brian Bosworth, you know, uh, the star linebacker from uh Oklahoma when he wore his NCAA t shirt and what it stood for. Right. He talked about communism and and the like, you know, not having freedom to do certain things. And that's very true. Uh, when you couple those two I- ideas together, that's exactly what the NCAA is. And right now they're under threat because you have these power five, these power conferences that can actually form their own conference and make money themselves. I mean, look, you've got the ACC champ. You got the SEC network. I mean, you can sit down in front of that network all day and look at a different story about great athletes that came out of SEC and right. not even flip to anything that NCAA is doing as it relates to that and on that level. But and, and you know, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but the value of bringing our a resurgence, of coming back to HBCUs and our athletes coming back to the communities that actually help them to get to that level would be monumental to our institution. But I want to talk about our institutions taking advantage and capitalizing on this and working itself through capacity, but go ahead yeah Say because it. we
0: because you you raise a you know an excellent point there when you talk about these conferences have the ability to all actually go off and do their own thing, yeah, and that's very much the difference that we see like in this era that we're in with the internet, the ability to be seen as an athlete. Uh, through YouTube, through Absolutely. all other channels, all these other means. I mean, I remember I grew up playing ball uh, growing up in New York City. I mean, we all who came up in the hood were either looking at playing ball or music, those kinds of limited um, professions. But ball was definitely something that helped me to get into college. I was by no means a top recruit, five-star, any of that. But in that era we will be, be modest. Be modest, well. Well, you know, I'll get played. You know, I, I went to the only to the only four year school that recruited me. I got recruited by a bunch of JUCOs, junior colleges, but I went to the only four year school that recruited me, and I probably should have went to the junior colleges because if I understood the system clearly, that was a definitely a viable way because a lot of athletes had gone that way. But Absolutely. the thing I am trying to point out is that in that era, you didn't have YouTube where. You can put your your video up, and people can be able to see you or know you, or whether you can play without having to come and see you. In my era, coming up in a you know in the eighties like that, you had to go and travel and see the the player, or you had to go by what people were saying, and so you had this sort of limited channel. We're now in an era where almost no matter where you play, if you get a game. The league is going the league is gonna find you. If you got a game, you wanna be found. You got you don't even have to go to the college route in order to get to the pros. We got LaMelo Ball right now, who's playing in the NBA. His father, as much as people may not like his father and his uh, being boisterous and all of this, his father understood some yeah. things about the game and said that this is not the only route to go to the NCAA Division One, so forth. But there are other routes to where you He took trying- his son
1: overseas to play.
0: That's right. He took his son overseas to play. And now his son is now in the NBA and now is a rookie of the year candidate. Balling out. Balling out. Because he had games. So that same son could have gone to an HBCU and balled out, and he would have been seen. So we're in an era now where, and again, the the attention is coming on the HBCUs, people recognizing the quality of these institutions in terms of an education. If you now bring that into the athletics, we already stated that guys have been coming out of HBCUs and doing phenomenal for generations. That's nothing new. So as an athlete, you know you're still going to be seen, and you can go to an institution that may be more... Uh, comfortable for you in terms of your culture and see you more as a full person, come out and actually get a degree, still be seen, still can go to the league and, and do your, you know, fulfill your career as an NBA player, NFL player, or whatever. It's a much more viable option because all of these other channels, like you said, it's a different era. People going to see you anyway. You're going to be seen
1: anyway. Well, you bring up again, a lot of great points. I want to go back to uh, LaMelo Ball and his father, right? You know, like you said, you know, for about a couple of years, he was everywhere. ESPN, you know, uh, every news clip that came out, he was on there talking trash, talking to him, yes. what we do on the court, right? Join, join him being a marketer. He was being a marketer. That, exactly, exactly. E. T. Barnum, he's being well, a marketer. As a matter of fact, I enjoyed him because it brought memories back of how we used to go after each other on the school bus, just talking smack. Yep, the the dozens, school. trash talking, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was it. You know, very, very harmless, just good, good fun, right? But he used that, like you said, to market. He was, he was a brilliant business marketer, right? Now, some of the products that came out, there was questions there about quality and so forth. But creating his the, their own brand, the mm-hmm. BBB brand, I mean, then, of course, his son drops the rap album and things of that nature and, and so forth. You know, so he was using that, like you said, not just to get his sons in the NBA, because he said, all three of my sons going to be in the NBA. Right. Now, what father can say that? Right? And then, how you have, right, now you have LeBron who's going to uh, really push the, the 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 father-son narrative with the opportunity for his he to be in the NBA and play with his son right. on the same court, you know, which is amazing. We saw that in... Baseball, of course, with the Griffins, you know, uh, Ken Griffith. Right, 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 right. You know, but how many people can say that, right? So they're they're pushing the narrative. And again, when we talk about HBCUs, I want to go back to capacity to handle this. Now, people say, oh, well, what about capacity? But you just simply destroyed that <laughs> fallacy, right? I mean, first of all, what HBCUs have been doing with our great athletes, I mean, every day we see it, right? And then our also our past athletes, who came from HBCUs, who are Hall of Famers. We talked about it in football, right? In basketball, it's the exact same thing, these major sports. So these are opportunities where we can push the narrative, right? We can push the narrative. We can push uh, the, and then drive our own narrative. Push it, drive it, and capitalize on it. Now, the capacity to do it is the ability for a few institutions to understand, hey, Let's do this. Let's do it the right way and be that model, right? right. So I think this is an, also a great opportunity for athletes and former athletes to help to develop. And I'll I'll give the example of Deion Sanders. Exactly. You know, right now, everybody, every major. Well, you know, I'm not gonna say every major, but you have. Ex NFL players that are trying to duplicate what D.S. Sanders is doing. You know they're applying for head coaching jobs just because they played the NBA. I mean, and, and
0: this is a guy that went across the street, his school, you know, Florida State University, across oh, the street for yeah. FAMU. So he wasn't he he was on FAMU's campus a whole lot. We know we know that for sure. But you're, you're, not absolutely, you're absolutely right because all of all of us, whether you went to an HBCU or not, you're touched. Buying age, somebody in your family, somebody in your community, which touch. So it's an institution that you still have a responsibility to. And Dion is showing that. He's, Let me bring my skill set back to bear into an institution that could really benefit from the skills that I have. You know, the the you know, the other thing that you know, that that really hit me about this when you talk about, like, the different era and you talk about capacity. Look what COVID has shown us about capacity and about the value of the stadium. Think about this for a second. We've been watching basketball games, right? Quality games without people in the stands. Without people, without huge crowds. That's right. So when you now talk about, oh, I need this huge capacity stadium on my campus in order to have a quality team, in order, uh, uh, I don't think so. COVID has shown you that you don't really need all of that capacity right. in the stadium. You, right. There's other multiple ways to do it through screens through all kinds of other creative ways to recreate that kind of atmosphere. And for a lot of these guys that come out of the AAU system, where they're used to playing in these tournaments, and it's basically their family members there and so forth, and then, they don't need all these huge stadiums. Once you're on the court, half of that ambiance kind of even goes away for you. That's Once you're on mean. the court, and you're really into the heat of the game. So we just watched the NBA have a quality Quality playoff season and championship season played before virtually no audience. So when you talk about an HBCU like you know, like like Howard or Hampton or any of these campuses that don't have the larger stadiums like the University of Arizona, another one of my my alumni, you don't really need that. COVID has shown us that this is a, again a new normal. A lot of things that we thought we were relying on really don't need.
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, I want I want to bring this point up that I want to go back to the discussion about athletes. Now, mm-hmm. I want you to understand that currently in the NBA, there are only two HBCU alumni playing in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. One is Kyle O'Quinn from Norfolk State University, uh, where I'm currently uh, a professor and also director. And then also Robert Covington from Tennessee State University, mm-hmm. which of course is the uh, university where Oprah Winfrey is, I guess, the most famous alumni. Yes, Open Winfrey is HBCU graduate, right. for all our audience <laughs> to, to, to hear. But keep in mind that a lot of African HBCU athletes, prior to the NBA-ABA merger, mm-hmm. didn't get a lot of attention from the NBA. Right. So they went to the ABA, you know, to showcase a lot of their talent. But I also want to give a list of, of current and past NBA greats that came from HBCU. Who can forget about Anthony Mason, the enforcer for the Knicks? That's right. right. Tennessee State, right? Who can who forget about Charles Oakley, the other enforcer for the Knicks? Virginia, Virginia Union. Who can forget about. Oh, 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 but you got it. I know
0: you're going to say my idol, Earl of Pearl Monroe, and where you hey, he
1: can't. Hey, Earl, Earl of Pearl Monroe <laughs> and Willis Reed. Willis Reed really out of Grandma State, right? <laughs> you got to beat me to it. Who forget about Bob Dandridge again? Another great uh, player in the NBA, Washington Bullets at that time, Norfolk State University, right? Bob Love, Southern University at a and College, my alma mater. Earl of Pearl Monroe, absolutely. Salem State University. Mr. Salem, Ben Wallace, again, from Virginia Union, who won the title, one of the, one of the greatest defensive players in the history of the game, especially at his height. I mean, right. one of the greatest players um, who came out of Virginia Union. Sam Jones, North Carolina Central. Willis Reed, I mentioned Willis Reed. Everybody remember Willis Reed when the Knicks were a great Another team. One of my idols, yeah. You know, he came out hobbling, you know, scored the first two buckets and went back. And that really catapulted and moved them into uh uh winning that particular uh title. But you know, MVP, NBA uh MVP, finals MVP, all-star. You know, this guy here did it all. It mm-hmm. came directly from HBCU. But then I want to take a quick look at some icons, man. Think about some current icons, you Will. Know? I mean, in football, you know, we see them all the time on TV. You know, we, we look at these guys and we're like, oh, where'd they go to school? And when we finally say they went to HBCU, you're like, oh, I didn't know that, right? But look, look at Michael Strahan from Texas Southern, mm-hmm. right? we straight out of the swag. We I mean, who can forget about Mel Blunt, the mm-hmm. great defender, Right? I mean, you think some of these guys, these QBs, Q- 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 I mean, these cornerbacks were bad. Mel Blunt was an enforcer, straight out of Southern University, played again for the Steelers. Track and field, again, Tennessee State. We look at Ralph Boston. We're talking about bro. Willie Brown uh, uh, over at Gramlin State, Lou Brock, the great Hall of Famer in baseball. And we forget about baseball, man. A lot of our great uh players exactly. It's- well you didn't mention you didn't mention art art shell,
0: first uh oh, African American coach in the modern era. Art exactly. Shell went to went to U- No, he went to UMES, University of Maryland East Shore. I know for sure because that's where my brother's alum I University said of correct. Maryland Eastern Shore. And then you got a uh, Fitz Fitz Pollard. If you want to go <laughs> way, way back, Fitz Pollard. Oh man, this first- First NFL coach, first black NFL coach. But where did he coach prior to that? Lincoln University, the Lincoln University of Pennsylvania.
1: Look, I I was going to mention Monty Urban that came (laughs) up, you know, MLB. So, again, we have these great players, Sam Jones. We talked about Walter Payton, sweet feet out of of, uh, uh, Jackson State University. Willis Reed, again, out of Grandma State. Jerry Rice, out of Mississippi Valley State. Now, Mississippi Valley, you know. It, that You know, there's challenges in the Delta, Mississippi. Mississippi right. Valley has put out some really good athletes, and we see it. Wilma Rudolph, you know, the great Renaissance woman out of Tennessee State University. So, again, I just wanted to give our audience an opportunity to hear these names that we hear all the time, and we never associate with HBCUs, but that's exactly where they got their start. Right. So I, I believe in looking at that list, Will. I believe that the top athletes, African-American athletes, can truly form partnerships with HBCUs. Absolutely. really help to benefit not only themselves, but also to benefit the universities and continue to pour into the communities that help bring them up, the communities that help to nourish their skill, help to nourish them as uh, great citizens and young men and great young women. And then it's a win win across the board. So HBCU and top black athletes are something that we can see coming together once again and creating that legacy here in the 21st century.
0: And I think that uh, last year, you know, we got the five star uh, recruit, uh, McCora Maker, who made a decision and really, you know, opened up a lot of eyes. Absolutely. Decided that he was going to go to Howard University. Now, unfortunately, Howard had to suspend their season because of COVID. But, and his, 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 uh, I don't want to call it braveness, I, I want to call it foresight. That's right. To see exactly what you just finished talking about, going through the list and seeing the importance and the quality that he can still uh, get absolutely by attending an HBCU. From both an academic, cultural, and also uh, athletic standpoint, and so hopefully others will see his example and follow his example. Again, you know, this season he didn't get a chance to show what he can do, but that's been the case for a lot of people because of the pandemic. So Absolutely. we very much we're looking forward to what will come of that, you know, in the coming seasons. And and wouldn't it be great that he was he didn't he didn't just do a one and done that he would actually stay or That as a result of that experience at at Howard, that he would continue, even if he goes into the NBA early, that he would continue his education. That's another thing that, like you said, a lot of the students are not actually graduating. They're using the platform to be (laughs) able to get them to the next level. But if they don't make it to the next level, then what? You know, I think that there's an opportunity for partnership, like you said, from these athletes Mm -hmm. to talk who have been there, done that know the game, know the pitfalls, know how to navigate to be able to say, hey, we can develop a real true partnership here where our athletes are graduating or getting, still continuing their education, even as they're continuing in their, you know, in their fields of endeavor. You know, I, I think a lot about Isaiah Thomas, who did not go to an HBCU, but after he graduated from, you know, Indiana, he still went on and continued his education. Absolutely. And I think that that's key. And those are the kinds of partnerships and the kinds of things that could be put together to make sure that um, our athletes not only get a full cultural, intellectual experience, they can pursue their athletic careers, if that's what they want to do, but most importantly, graduate and go on and do great things for the
1: community. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned Isaiah Thomas. I know he has a master's degree from Berkeley. Uh, And, you know, again, he talks about where he came from, a lot of, of athletes and a lot of individuals come from challenging backgrounds. Straight from the hood in Chicago, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and and to see what he's accomplished post, uh, and not, we know about the accomplishments of Michael Jordan and others and, and Kenny Smith and all these people who had trained Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal mm. into the entertainment and business side. But education is what we don't hear a lot. And you're exactly right. Uh, again, Shaquille O'Neal actually has his doctorate degree. Uh, that he also worked and received. So again, all of these educational benefits, I think are key. I believe that the partnerships are key. And I believe that not only can this bring to light a resurgence of coming coming back to HBCUs uh, and a lot of great light have been placed on the great work that has been done, especially with Mackenzie Scott, um, the former wife of Jeff Bezos and her foundation, and what she's done and given just one person. You know, we talked about that before. uh, Highlighting, saying these are the criteria that we're looking for. Hey, we like what you're doing. Continue to do it. Here's $40 million.
0: So, so Clavel, as we wrap and we think about, well, what can Black people do or should Black people do when it comes to this issue? I think one of the things that comes to mind for me, absolutely, is that alumni of HBCUs need to absolutely dig into their pockets and start giving back because what happens in all of these programs that have been built is because of capital campaigns that have happened, Absolutely. things that have been done to upgrade the facilities to be able to attract the top athletes and all of these types of things, be able to provide funding to take care of some of their their Absolutely. financial you know difficulties. So if the alumni turn around and take care of their own and build up these universities and support these universities and become booster clubs that legally support these kinds of programs, then you will have the top athletes coming. You had the facilities and then you can use what's going on in athletics to be a marketing tool which is what all of these NCAA March Madness presidents are talking about, is. how much marketing and exposure and how the enrollment increases because of the exposure. So it's incumbent on us as alumni to get back. And you need to just its don't give back what somebody else is telling you you should give. You need to look at your own budget and decide today what I'm going to start giving and then graduate from there, so yeah, if, it, exactly. if it's only fifty that you can give to starting today, then you start on that today and they say, "I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get to hundred, I'm gonna get to five hundred, I'm gonna get to thousand, I'm, I'm gonna go
1: beyond." But start today, alumni
0: have to give back,
1: absolutely. But also, alumni have to have to be shown a way that that works for them. And again, I use this model. You know, if you got fifth, if you have ten thousand alumni, fifty dollars a year, that's a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just simply uh, raise it from that um, five dollars, five dollars a month. You know, is sixty dollars a year. And again, just look at the amount of money that generates. But now, in philanthropy and philanthropic giving, um, persons want to give the causes, not institutions. Mm-hmm. So, what is the cause? And again, developing that partnership, developing the plan, and then developing how that partnership and plan can benefit both university, the alumni, and the athletes is key to the success in this effort. Thank you again for joining us for this conversation with Lavisa and Cleville as we talk about HBCUs and the value of Black athletes. Join us next time and follow us on our Facebook. Like and share their Instagram, Twitter. And if you have a question, you can always reach out to us at lavisandcleville at gmail.com. Until next time, That's the way it is, we'll see.